0: Hard-hitting questions coming out of yesterday. You know, I think one of them was uh, whether or not the horns down is going to be 15-yard penalty uh, in the SEC in the future. That it was very
1: important to finish uh, and to collect the trophy and to win 10 games and win a game on New Year's Day and all those things. And uh, believe me, we had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special; just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun; it ought to be illegal.
0: I said in my press conference back in December that I didn't feel like there was anything at South Carolina that we lacked to be a championship program, that we had everything that we needed. I am even more convinced of that now after being there for seven months.
2: So There's a report in the Houston Chronicle that that Texas and Oklahoma are inquiring about joining the SEC.
3: (laughs) I bet they would.
0: (laughs) War Eagle. Feels good to say that. All right. I didn't even remember that 12 years ago, but now that you say that, because I believe there was something about someone didn't have Tebow first-team All SEC, and as usual, I was accused of that. So <laughs> I brought my ballot to, to show everyone, to show Urban.
4: Um, so, hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast.
5: Hail State. Oh, Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And flying solo for this episode gave Shane the day off, but we got a terrific guest lined up. We got Tony Basilio, one of the best out there, not only covering... Tennessee Vols, but he talks all kinds of SEC football. He really is the voice of the fan. they on Rocky Top. Really appreciate Tony Basilio. And <laughs> I got to be honest, when I asked him to do my show, he asked me to do his. I said yes. And then he said, well, hell, it's going to be at one in the morning. I said, well, <laughs> I did not realize Basilio, you know, he does these all-nighters. He goes on hours on hours on hours. He's doing a 13-hour Commercial free broadcast here after uh, Tennessee's opener against Bowling Green. So look forward to that. Hell, I look forward to participating in that. So that's why I wanted to have Tony on to talk about this Bowling Green matchup. But before we get into all that, got to mention the sponsors. We've been talking about HelloFresh. HelloFresh.com slash SECMike14 for up to 14 free meals Courtesy of our friends, HelloFresh. That's a hell of a deal. Just had HelloFresh myself for dinner tonight. And then FanDuel, fanduel.com slash SECMike. Using that promo code SECMike, get you 20% deposit for all your initial deposits over there at FanDuel. And then we got a new sponsor. Really happy about this one. This is going to be a great one. PrizePix. Head on over to PrizePicks.com using that promo code SEC. Fantasy football, college football edition coming this year, courtesy of Prize Picks. Shane and I are going to be participating. We're going to be having uh, our picks weekly on the Prize Picks platform. It's it's a really uh, great website and app. Uh, it, it's really awesome. You get to pick between two to five players every week, and they set an over and under based on uh, how many fantasy points those players are projected to get. And all you got to do is you got to you pick your two to five players, and whether you think each one's going to go over or under the fantasy projection. So, PrizePicks.com. Use that promo code SEC when you sign up. They're giving out uh, free bonuses right now. I believe off fifty dollars free bonus for signing up for Prize Picks. So, cannot wait for that. We're going to have a guest on the show uh, later in the week to kind of break down their product fully, but. Really looking forward to that. Really, of course, looking forward to all the football we got coming. So, man, do we have a loaded show. So let's just get right into it. Before we jump to our interview here with Tony, do you want to make this note? Because the SEC has finalized their COVID policy for this season. I know nobody wants to hear this stuff, and neither do I. I was hoping uh, we had moved beyond all this. But the SEC has uh, made a determination here. It's game week. They had to come out and say something. If a team cannot play an SEC game, let's just throw out an example. If Tennessee cannot play Alabama because Tennessee's having COVID issues, Tennessee forfeits the game. There will be no makeups this year. It'll be an L for Tennessee in the loss column in the standings, and it'll be a win for Alabama. That's how they're handling it. There's no makeups. I'll say that again. No makeups this year in the SEC for conference games, they they don't have any desire to blow up the schedule week in and week out like we did last season. Now what happens if both teams cannot play? Here's where it gets tricky. If both teams cannot play, they each get a loss in the column. So, man, let's certainly hope none of this comes to part and we don't even have to worry about it. But, uh, you know, that's a big Stressing point why a lot of these programs want to have their players vaccinated and their staff vaccinated so they don't have to deal with this stuff. And the most common response I saw when I put this news out there, well, hell, we finally have a chance to beat Alabama. I've seen about seven different fan bases saying, well, hold, pump the brakes on that one because, as I understand it, Alabama's only got one player. They haven't said who, but uh, I believe they've only got one player that has yet to be vaccinated, so... You know, it's interesting. Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Arkansas—I believe those are the the four leaders in the SEC that have, and Ole Miss, of course. Uh, you know, Lane Kiffin has made it very public they've they've got a hundred percent vaccination. But it's these teams at the top <laughs> that they do not want to suffer any losses because of COVID. So I think that's why uh, those numbers you keep getting hearing about vaccination rates and and where those. Teams are at so just something to keep in the back of your mind. Uh, again, no makeup dates, and this is uh, for only for conference games. I think if you if you lose a non-conference game due to COVID, it's just you know they're probably not going to work to to make that up either. I don't know, but uh, that's not something the SEC can determine. So that is the official statement from the SEC, and let's hope it's the last damn time we ever have to talk about COVID and scheduling and all that for the rest of the football season. Let's get into our interview first with Tony Basilio, one of the best out there in the SEC covering college football, the voice of the Vol Nation there. Uh, I think Tennessee fans in particular, of course, are really going to love these comments from the godfather, Tony Basilio. Hey, we're pleased to uh, once again be joined by Tony Basilio, of course, the great Tony Basilio there in Knoxville, Post a radio show weekly The Voice of the Common Fan on 99.7 FM, 1040 AM, every day from 11 to 1. Tony, I really appreciate you hopping on the show.
2: Mike, I love you, man, and I'm so excited for you. Free at last, Michael (laughs) Bratton. Free at last, doing your own thing. And uh, by the way, taking our industry by storm, you are the top of our industry uh, right now in our southeastern footprint, the success you've had now that you're out on your own and you know it's kind of what I've done for years and years and years and years and years years on my own website Mm -hmm. and uh man you're going to absolutely love this you're really going to grow I'm excited for you
5: well I appreciate the kind words and it's uh, because of people like you that gave me the confidence to make this move Tony so I truly uh, appreciate uh, everything that you've done for me and uh, the outstanding work you've done just being the voice of the fan there and there's no one that does it like Tony Basilio. All nighter shows. Shiano Sunday as, as terrible of a day as that was. It was almost my favorite day because Tony went how many hours did you go that night?
2: We went eleven hours that <laughs> night. We're going thirteen hours for the opener. <laughs> thirteen hours for the opener, as you see, Mike. Thirteen we're we're gonna as soon as the game's over,
1: mm-hmm.
2: we're gonna be taking phone calls till 1 o'clock the next afternoon. The way I figured it would be midnight till 1 a.m. the next afternoon. And then that night, I play in a um, music group. We're going to play... I didn't know this when we scheduled this, but I looked at my schedule and realized that Friday I'm playing music out uh, at a spot called Corner 16 in West Knoxville, which means when Saturday morning rolls around, I'm going to be like in the fourth corner of my mind. I'm going to be so tired.
5: Well, I cannot wait for it. It, uh, If you need me for that show, just let me know. I'm I'm happy to to join you for as long as you want. But, you know, that's obviously the big topic there uh, in Knoxville, the Josh Heupel era starting this Thursday against Bowling Green. Do you think Josh Heupel uh, is the right man for the job? I want to start with that one.
2: You know, the bottom line with that is we're going to find out, aren't we?
5: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, I know that's kind of a lame answer, but who knows? Kind of like, you know, Joe Milton's going to be the starting quarterback to start. Is he the right quarterback uh, for this deal? Can he do it in this league? Uh, Can he atone for what happened at Michigan? You know, the thing I like about Heupel, Mike, is that he's at least had, um, I think, a really great tone that he set with his team. I think they like him. I think they're going to play hard for him. Um, Do they have enough material to withstand the rigors of a Southeastern Conference season, by the way, by time they get to the back part of their schedule, which is more generous, uh, time will tell. But uh, in this first game with Bowling Green, how will uh, Joe Milton look? How will the offense look? They're playing a dreadful football team. And really the season begins for Tennessee when they play Pittsburgh mm-hmm. uh, in, in the second game because that's a real swing game for the Vols against a good college football team.
5: Yeah, so you hit on Joe Milton there. I really wanted to ask you about him. I mean, the guy's—he's built like a Greek god, and yep. uh, you know, the same hype he was getting at Michigan going into his uh, first time starting uh, this time last year. You know, there was some—I mean, some insiders were saying maybe this guy could contend for the Heisman Trophy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, obviously he didn't get it done at Michigan. Maybe that's on uh, Harbaugh. Maybe that's on the COVID. I don't know. But uh, what, if anything, can you tell us on uh, why he's the starting quarterback? for Tennessee in the season opener?
2: He has the physical tools that coaches love. That's why. And the other thing is, they look, um, one of the guys here um, who is a part of their quarterback stable is a highly recruited uh, kid, Harrison Bailey. And, you know, he's kind of the great white hope, as they say in the trade. Mm -hmm. But Harrison Bailey doesn't have the arm strength that Milton possesses. He doesn't have the ability to make plays with his legs and elude rush that Milton has. And he doesn't have the ability in space to run people over that Joe Milton does. The bottom line with Joe Milton is he is going to be asked to run around in this offense, but they need him to get out of bounds, protect himself. The other thing that Joe Milton's got to be able to do that he hasn't displayed so far in his college football career. And I'm just going off what he, what he did at Michigan. Mm-hmm. And at times this camp is be consistent throwing the football. You know, in this offense, you got to be able to make the little plays. And then when, when it's not there, don't trust your arm strength, but get rid of the football. You know, don't be like a Jarrett Garantano and, you know, try to force balls in the traffic or th- throw balls, worth, make, try to make plays where they're not, just get rid of the ball, live the fight another day.
5: Now, do you think this uh, defense, were they going to be able to stop anybody this year? The, the defense? Yeah. I mean, I, do you think it's – the way I kind of equate it is I I think best case scenario, last year you look at what Ole Miss was. I mean, high-flying, explosive, but uh, couldn't stop an old woman crossing the street. I, I kind of see that uh, that same model for Tennessee, or, or am, am I being a little too pessimistic on the defense?
2: No, but they've had a couple of guys – really step up in the preseason camp. Um, And Byron Young's a guy to watch. Um, He has been unblockable at times in camp. He's going to play defensive end, former outside linebacker, depending on what you want to call it. But really, he's their designated pass rusher. There's a local kid over here, Tyler Barron, who was heavily, highly recruited. They really need him to take the next step. They do have some... They have a good number of guys like a Matthew Butler a Tr- Latrell Bumps who played some, uh, played some football for them. But really, at the end of the day, they need a couple of guys out of a group of about 10 to emerge there. And the, the truth and the proof will be in the pudding. Where Tennessee is really in, in, in tough and rough shape is, um, is at linebacker. Um, they have all kinds of uh, defensive ends that we were talking about before, like Elijah Simmons, the highly recruited guy. Omari Thomas, another highly recruited guy. They just had a, they've had a bunch of guys just haven't panned out. In their linebacking core. Jawan Mitchell, who's a transfer from Texas, is somebody that they're going to kind of count on the quarterback The deal. People I talk to from Texas say that he was just a guy down there. Mm-hmm. He was just a just an average player at best, um, you know. But Tennessee's so thin that that was big news when he transferred in. Jeremy Banks is a is another guy. that has been in trouble a few times here. Jeremy um, is a is a guy at times that uh, in the past when he's played here has looked pretty aimless on a football field. Though he is extremely athletic, and then you've got guys like Karat Garland. Morvin Joseph, who was a highly recruited guy that Jeremy Pruitt brought in here. Uh, Aaron Beasley, Apache, Apache Mohan. Um, so, uh, you know, as, as Matt Dixon, uh, who writes for me over at uh, tclub.team, said, he said, here's his line. Imagine Tennessee's linebacking core from last season trying to cover the middle of the field versus Heupel's offense. He said, you talk about something that's hashtag not suitable for work. And he is exactly right. Um, But um, that's really going to tell the tale for Tennessee because I'll tell you what, man, they have found some pretty good players, they feel like, in their secondary. There are a couple of young kids in their secondary, including Deshaun Rucker, who is the fastest player on the team and was from the jump – uh, and Christian Charles, who's a three-star player out of the state of Georgia, true, two true freshmen that are going to have impacts on, on a group that has some some upperclassmen. But uh, Christian Charles has had a really good go at it, as well as um, uh, the aforementioned rocker. So I think Tennessee defensively, I mean, everybody's bad now, you know, because of the way the game is played. You and I both know that. I think they're going to be better than people think they're going to be. My question is, are they going to get good enough quarterback play to effectively do what Josh Heupel wants to do on offense? And are they going to locate enough wide receivers in order to play the way Heupel does? Because, you know, the assumption is they've got a bunch of receivers over there. I'm going to give you a dirty little secret. They don't like their receiving core. I mean, that's something that a lot of people won't say out loud, but to this point, uh, going as we are here late in camp, we're in game – well, we're not even in camp anymore. We're in game week. They're not in love with their receiving core. I don't know if I can say that out loud, but, you know, I, I'm just trying to call it like I see it here.
5: Now, you mentioned this Pitt game, week two, mm-hmm. Johnny Majors classic, I think they're calling it. Mm-hmm. How big of a game is this, uh, you know, in, in many factors for Tennessee season to, to get to the postseason? If they're eligible, I think you got to beat Pitt. And the way I kind of view this, fair or unfair, Josh Heupel is going to be judged, I think, by a large base of the fans that maybe are on the fence. If he he loses this pit game, I think, you know, it's not like they're going to turn their back on him, but they'll just, they'll think, oh, this is another Butch, another Derek Dooley, another Pruitt. Uh, How big is that pit game week two in your mind?
2: You know, look, I I don't think the fans are going to be drawing any judgments this year, but you know, the the bottom line with Pitt is, here's a team that played, you know, they played the ACC only schedule last year, went 5-5. Five and five. They're a team some people think could win their division. They got a big quarterback uh, in uh, Kenny Pickett, who probably would have been an NFL draft choice if he would have come out. And this year, you know, he comes back for his senior season. And it's a guy that threw for 2,400 yards last year. But he had an interesting touchdown-interception ratio. I think it was like 13-9, which, you know, at the end of the day, you want to force a guy like that to throw it up. But um, he has been there forever, played a lot of football. It's a noon start in Knoxville, uh, which is a good time to pick somebody off in your building if you don't come in there half asleep. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: And here's the thing about Tennessee, you know. Tennessee wins that game. All of a sudden, they're a little bit alive uh, heading into the, the end of um, the, the end of September because they have a trip to Florida who's going to be, as you know, offensively challenged with all the losses they've had. Florida's lost too many impact players to think they're just going to be uh, not a work in progress in the first month of the season. And, you know, the thought over on the Hill, which we call it here, is that if they can get past that Pittsburgh and get ahead of steam, they might just have a shot to uh, go down there to Florida. And again, that's another noon start, which sort of throws, uh, you know, sort of throws the uh, deal into who knows. if You catch a team half asleep. We see that here in this conference. So Tennessee really needs the pit game though, because if they don't get the pit game, um, if you look at their schedule. It's going to be kind of an uphill climb to get to six wins, unless they can knock somebody off. They're not supposed to. Well,
5: speaking of that, I don't know if you consider this an upset or not, but uh, you know, all all Tennessee fans, they they always circle the Florida game that you just mentioned. It Alabama, Georgia, those are the big dogs that everybody wants to beat. But how much could Josh Heupel stand to gain? from beating Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss in Neyland Stadium come October 16th. I think that may be the biggest game on the schedule for uh, Josh Heupel. What do you think about that?
2: You know, again, I, I think this is such a year zero for Heupel. I think the fan base I, – I'll tell you, I bathe in this every day mm-hmm. and do so much talk radio and, um, and, and really take seriously trying to get a sense for what the fan base is thinking, feeling. I think people have um, – sort of taking a real shine to Heifel. Now, if they come out and their offense looks dreadful against Bowling Green, uh, maybe the bloom comes off his rose a little bit. But I think most people have been pretty forgiving this year. And most people realize that uh, Lane Kiffin has had a little bit of a head start uh, being down there a year early to install what he wants to do. And they were pretty high-flying last year. Mm -hmm. I mean, hell, that game right there Think about it. That game could take four and a half hours if Tennessee has a good, uh, solid quarterback. And again, I don't know whether they do yet on that roster. I don't know. Like with Joe Milton, to me, it's like betting on how many raindrops are going to fall next Monday here. You know, (laughs) Um, I mean, how in the hell do you know that? And how would you know if it's not Joe Milton? uh, Can Hendon Hooker step in there and do the job? Who could step in there and do the job? Could anybody step in there and do the job that's on their roster? Because here's the thing. If they can't find somebody that will play quarterback and play it consistently and play it well, team like Ole Miss is going to blow Tennessee out. That's just just what it's going to be. However, they can find somebody. If they can find somebody that can do it, then away you go. I I think it will be very interesting to see how that will work.
5: All right, last question for you, Tony. I really appreciate all your time. You know, what is the latest, you know, who in who the hell knows when the NCAA is going to crawl out from under their rock and make a ruling here, but uh, what can you tell us about what you're hearing with uh, Tennessee and, and the NCAA investigation, and, and if uh, you, th- based on what you know or what you're hearing, what kind of penalties the Vols are potentially looking at here?
2: I think Tennessee's strategy on this thing is kind of vacillated, and I give them credit for that. Think about, you go back to the middle of June, I kept hearing internally from my sources that they were going to self-report and do something akin to, now I don't like this, because to me, the NCA doesn't, doesn't exist anymore in the METs, mm-hmm. but I think they're vacillating uh, Tennessee has, because now I think their strategy is to wait until the Constitutional Convention from the Southeastern Conference occurs and wait and see what the new rule book looks like. And then take what they've been accused of, match it to the new NCAA rule book and say, okay, can we get some mitigation here? I gotta tell you, if they do that, that's a smart move. Now, some would say, if you do that, you're waiting longer, and you may hurt this upcoming recruiting class. I don't know how true or, isn't, or, or not true. Uh, that happens to be. I, I, I can't pretend to know that. I don't think any of us can. Again, it's like uh, how your quarterbacks play this year when you have no earthly idea. But if you look at it and you just logically, and this is a discussion they've had internally, and Danny White spoke about this and then he got his hand slapped his words by, I believe the chancellor over at Tennessee, who is above him. Why? I have no idea, but she is, um, because this should be his, this should be, this is his realm. Mm-hmm. This is something he should be handling in, in, in concert with the president over at Tennessee and the board. But that said, cause she wouldn't know a football from a baseball, no offense <laughs> to her, but you know, she's, she's an academic. Um, but that said, He got his hand slapped for saying, you know, we're working on some things, yada, yada, yada. They are right now trying to figure out what's a smarter thing. Is a bird in the hand worth two in the bush? Do we go ahead and impose something? Or if we go ahead and impose something, are we going to look silly and foolish by showing our hand when – some of this stuff is getting ready to become passe. Now, I will tell you, I think they've had internal discussions about doing a bull ban this year, maybe for two years. I also think they've had internal discussions about uh, scholarship reductions. Now, are they they of a significant uh, number? I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. Um, The one thing that's interesting is I don't know if you've seen this, but there is some proposed legislation out there that for schools that have been hit hard by the transfer portal that they are going to get a bunch of scholarships back. Tennessee this year with the 25 kids that left, probably 18 of whom were players that were real legit scholarship type players. I mean, they, they count guys jumping into the portal that are, you know, walk-on types and that sort of thing. And no offense to those guys, but you know, hmm. whatever, whatever. But the 18 or so there are scholarship flyers, there's some kind of move afoot now where instead of getting 25, you get 42 signees or whatever. however the number just to make the numbers work out, which makes sense to me, by the way. It should make sense to everybody. The thing that's going to be really interesting to see is: will Tennessee self-report in early September? Or will they walk to the line and wait to see what happens in October with the NCA? If you're asking me to guess, I would say, and I'm not trying to cop out here, but I'd say it's a real coin flip because I think internally they're still having vigorous discussion about that right now. Uh, Mike, that's my read on it. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. And like I said, I mean, who in the hell knows when the NCA is going to come out from under their rocks. So I do appreciate uh, your insight on that because that's the number one thing I get asked when it comes to Tennessee. So, of course, he's Tony Basilio, the great, great Tony Basilio. Got to check his show there every weekday in Knoxville, 99.7 FM, 1040 AM from 11 to 1.
2: Can I plug something real quick?
5: Absolutely. So we're doing
2: out after the Bowling Green State game, if you go over my website at com. We're going to be taking uh, reaction from the Tennessee fans and really celebrating the fact that college football is back all night. And we do some of these super shows. We've never done one like this. After the Florida game several years back, we did a seven-hour broadcast. And these are commercial break-free. And I can promise you this. This is from guys like Matt Jones, etc. Up there in Kentucky, people all around the country tell me there's nothing like it, what we do. Now now SEC Mike was telling me his father uh listens in on on the and what's your pop's name, by the way, Mike?
5: Uh, Michael Bratton Sr.
2: Michael, <laughs> Mr. Bratton, thank you. Thank you for the love. And uh, as Philip Fulmer would say, as he mispronounces the word do's to you for raising such a great son, you should be very proud. We love uh we love SEC Mike, but SEC Mike, thank you for letting me get that plug in. And SEC Mike himself is going to jump on with us now. Before we started here today, I told SEC Mike. He said, "Then what time would you want me?" And I said, "We can do a little reenactment here." I said, "How about about 1 a.m.?" And you went, "Oh, what? <laughs> come on, Mike, I'm going to be up till. Come on, Mike,
5: I'm going to be up till noon the next day." You can stay up to 1 o'clock in the morning, SEC, Mike. Come on, man. You can do it. Yeah, the juices will be flowing for sure. So anytime, I don't care if it's uh, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., whatever, I'll be there.
2: Now, those are famous last words. I'll, I'll slot you in for three. How's that sound?
5: <laughs> I'll set my alarm now. How about, how's that sound?
2: <laughs> hey, I really appreciate you, man. Thanks for all the great work you do. And uh, always a pleasure to visit with you as well on our, on our show.
5: All right, so I really appreciated Tony hopping on the line again. And, do, and hey, if you're a Vol fan, be on the lookout for his show. Like I said, it's going to be running all night Thursday, all Friday morning. That's, that's what he's saying anyway. 13 hours consecutive, and he's done 11 hours in a row. So, you know, a guy like him, he can <laughs> – He's not bullshitting. He's done this before. I've sat there and watched it. So uh, check. I think I'm coming on at 1 a.m. So that's something to if you're still awake, if you're still drunk uh, after Tennessee destroys Bowling Green, be something for us uh, to partake upon there on the Tony Basilio show. So I cannot wait for that. And uh, while we're here, man, let's. Let's start with our uh, news around the league. We've got so many coaches. I couldn't even get them all on this episode. Had to push some to uh, tomorrow's show. But uh, let's kick it around the league. Now let's go around the league. Um, what, what, what is 12 personnel?
6: You know, i I, I got to get up. Two tight ends? And two wide receivers or one? I'm just kidding. I know what 12 personality. is. So.
0: Don't worry about playing Alabama. I can't figure out whether or not the Big Ten and Back 12 are going to yo-yo around and play football with us or not. I mean, they're playing great. Love it. Love the game. Awesome game. It's unbelievable for our country. Uh, it's it's great for our universities. It's great for our towns when we play. It's great for our young men. Uh, you know, it, I think it's personally, I think it's the greatest game in the world. So if they elect to play, great. They don't, yeah, you know that's 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 on them. I, I got enough crap to worry about with preparing for Alabama and figuring stuff out the Mizzou. So the team is in great spirits. I know there was a lot of doom and gloom. I saw and heard a lot about how uh, the the hopes of our season hinged on the results of an MRI, and frankly, or frankly, that's bull crap. Uh, we've got a hell of a football team, and whether one guy's in or out. We got 117 other guys that are ready to step up no matter who's out. We got Kevin.
4: All right, I'm not a big opening statement guy, and plus you guys are going to ask whatever you want to know anyway. So let's just go ahead and get started. Is there any questions? Young man
0: from Destrehan, Louisiana. Hold on a second. Hey, guys. Hey. I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you.
5: Uh, great young man. SEC, SEC, SEC. All right, going on the theme there Tennessee, of course, plays first. They play on Thursday night on SEC Network. They're a 35 and a half point favorite over Bowling Green. And everybody on Rocky Tap just wants to see this offense in motion. See how it works. See if uh, we finally know now. Well, we've been if you've been listening to this show, you know Joe Milton starting quarterback for Tennessee, but uh, Josh Heupel confirmed that on Monday. Uh, let's kick it over to Josh Heupel, who talks about that decision and why Joe Milton was the right man for the job.
4: Uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, at the beginning of training camp that we thought we'd have a, a starting quarterback um, by game week. Um, Joe Milton will be our, our starting quarterback, uh, talked to those guys earlier about that. Uh, not naming a backup, uh, believe in, in what those guys are, are ready to do, uh, given the opportunity. They've continued to grow and compete, all three of them together. Um, Joe's had an opportunity to, to take a bunch of the reps with the ones here as of late and has continued to develop, uh, but believe in, in the other two guys as well. And, and um, they've handled the meeting room, handled the practices the right way. Uh, excited about that room as a collective group so with that we'll, uh, we'll
3: what was the deciding factor that set joe milton apart from harrison bailey and hennon hooker as a starting
4: quarterback i don't think there's just one thing uh, first of all i truly mean this and, and sometimes coaches get up and, and just say it um, but i really do love that group man they've continued to grow they push each other they're really positive with each other our team and our offensive group uh, sees and feels that energy all three of them have a positive effect on the offensive group and the team as a whole. Um, they've handled that throughout this entire process, which is really difficult to do. Um, I really believe that uh, all three of them have an opportunity to go play at a, at a really high level, given the opportunity. Um, you know, at the end of the day, felt like Joe, uh, just his grasp of our offense in a short amount of time, the growth during the middle portion of training camp, uh, his acceleration in what we're doing, uh, some physical attributes, decision making, uh, led us to, to put the ball in his hands here uh, this first ball
5: game. When did you sort of have the realization that, that Joe is going to be your guy and, and sort of what was the tipping point there?
4: Uh, he's practiced with the, the one group here for, um, I don't know, uh, probably the last you know, seven to ten days, somewhere in, in that. Um, I think we came out of uh, a second scrimmage and felt like uh, he had taken some positive steps in the shorter amount of time Uh, as far as time on task. Uh, Some of the other guys being here through spring continued to to break up those reps uh, pretty much evenly. Joe got a majority with uh, the first team offense there for uh,
5: the last part of training camp and and here into this uh, game week. All right, so uh, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I mean, this is the ultimate uh, swinging for the fences. And again, you know, make no mistake, I did not think Joe Milton was going to be the starting quarterback uh, leading up to training camp. I just I didn't see how he was going to come in, and without the spring, just getting in. Of course, maybe we should have. I should have recognized the fact that uh, you know you don't you don't bring in a quarterback if you're happy with the ones you currently got. So you know this is a gamble based on what I've seen of Joe Milton. He's got the huge arm. He's he's looks like a damn Greek god. He's he's built like a like a brick shithouse house here, but uh, and he can run, but he's very inconsistent, not accurate. These are things that could you know we look at games like Pitt. And South Carolina and Vanderbilt. If your quarterback's turning it over and he can't uh, is very inaccurate with his passes, those teams will beat you. Now, if he's hitting the deep ball and he's playing turnover free, maybe a sneak up, maybe a beat of Florida. Hell, Shane's talking about beating Florida. Basilio's talking about that game. Uh, I'm certainly not ready to go that far, but hell, if uh, you know if Joe Milton is the next Matt Corral, and and who's to say he's not. Uh, that gives Tennessee a fighting shot in a lot of these games that uh, maybe they weren't considered, uh, you know, to be threats and previously. So, you know, just something to think about. And uh, it's interesting that Josh Heupel, like I said, I think he's swinging for the fences here. Could have I think Hendon Hooker would would have been a lot more conservative option, a lot safer option, but uh, you know. Maybe can't make all the throws that Josh Heupel needs for his offense to succeed. So something to uh, watch here on Rocky Top to see. Hell, if, if Joe Milton struggles against Bowling Green, it's uh, not a great sign for the rest of the season. So, hey, they're rolling it out there with uh, with Joe. Heisman Joe is Shane's certainly going to be calling him on Thursday night here, but uh, I cannot wait to see it. And uh, I'm glad that we finally have that behind us. Uh, you know, the world's worst kept secret there on Rocky Top, Joe Milton going to be starting for the Vols this season. All right, kicking on down to Athens next. (laughs) The big game, everybody's got their eye on. Georgia Bulldogs, Clemson Tigers in Charlotte. Georgia, currently a a three-and-a-half-point underdog to Clemson. I'm still shaking my head on that one. ABC nationally televised. Everybody and their mother's going to be, either got this on your main screen like uh, we talked about in the last episode, or if your team's playing, you probably got this one on, on on your secondary screen, and I bet your eyes will be glancing over to that second screen more often than you care to admit, because this is a heavyweight showdown. I mean, this could determine which of these teams goes to college football playoff. I, I certainly don't think, especially for Clemson, if they lose this, how are they going to get crawl their way back in? I just, I don't know how you give it to an ACC team that uh, loses to an SEC team in the opener. I don't know, so much on the line for Clemson, a lot on the line for Georgia. Uh, Georgia, obviously, you know, they can't beat Alabama. Clemson's right there with them. I mean, they're basically the Alabama of the ACC. So conquering that Alabama challenge, maybe you start that by beating Clemson. Here's an underdog. With everybody hyping up Dabo and his new quarterback and all these defensive linemen, they got defensive linemen down there in Georgia, too. So, uh, you know, watch this game in the Battle of the Trenches. That's, you know, that's not the sexy topic, but that's where this game is going to be defined. With Georgia's uh, work-in-progress offensive line going up against Clemson's defensive line. And Clemson. They've got a worse offensive line than Georgia. So what do you think Georgia's front seven is going to do to them? Everybody, we're all focusing on Georgia's secondary. Rusty Manziel, you know, had him on the show, said the front seven will be their best friend in this game. I think he's right. And they're going up against a quarterback that has seen the field, but uh, uh, not many times. I think once as a starter, maybe twice in uh, DJ, how in the hell you say his name? I don't know. But, uh, you know, he's going to be running for his life in this game. I think that's something to monitor there. I think it's all going to come down to the trenches. I'm tired of talking about this game. I truly am. I'm ready to see it play out. Uh, fortunately, we only got a couple more days to sh- be spieling on about uh, Clemson and Georgia meeting in Charlotte. And I, th- you know who else is tired of talking about it? Oh, Kirby. Uh, <laughs> he's having to ask, answer the same old, same old questions on scheduling Clemson on JT Daniels why he didn't put JT Daniels in the lineup sooner. I don't know why this is a question in 2021. We all know JT Daniels is a starting quarterback for Georgia. But uh, let's kick it over to Kirby, who also gave an update on uh, Eric Gilbert and Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith.
2: How much more confidence does it give you in the offense and, and going into the season with a guy that you know is the starter at quarterback and
0: not that uncertainty that you had going into last season And uh, kind of as a follow to that, do you ever have any second thoughts about uh, not going to JT a little sooner last season? I think the first question would be much more confidence in terms of this year compared to last year, not knowing for sure. And a lot of it had to do with no spring. Um, You know, Basically our spring was our fall camp last year and don't get enough body of work to see the guys play and uh, see the guys start out and go do things. Um, in terms of wishing JT – big, big thing there was confidence in his knee and getting him rehab. We've talked about that before. It's something that uh, was beyond a lot of our control in terms of him being stable enough and, and able to go. But I will say this, a lot of the, the confidence you have in your offense comes from what's earned, right? And you earn that by how you play and who you play. And these guys we're about to play are extremely talented on defense and extremely well coached and have everybody back. So when you talk about opening tests, these guys are really good defensively. Yeah, Coach, you've uh, talked about Clemson's defense. How confident are you? uh, This looks like it'll be the biggest game that JT has, has played in. How confident are you in how he's managed, you know, the preparations and the excitement over this game and, all the attention that's come his way, NIL and, and all that different kind of stuff that he's had to manage in addition to getting ready for probably the, the best returning defense there has been in college football in a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm extremely confident in his preparation and his focus. I mean, that's not of concern for me. The concern is who we have to block, uh, the players around JT. You know, everybody puts us on the shoulders of the quarterback – but so much of the outcome of the quarterback are how the guys play around him and who those guys are and what's the experience level of those guys. And uh, do they play well? Do they play with physical toughness? Do they strain? Do they do all those things? I'm very confident in JT's preparation uh, up to this point and his preparation in terms of over the summer and you know, the distractions that the outside world has, they really aren't distractions for JT because he's he's got a single-minded focus all the time on kind of being his best and being the best leader he can.
2: Kirby, um, is there any update on uh, Eric Gilbert and where
0: things stand with him? Yeah, no, no update other than Eric is not currently with us still, and uh, we're, we're praying for him each and every day that uh, he can come back healthy.
4: Any update on uh, Darnell Washington or Tyke Smith in terms of their availability?
0: Yeah, each one of them are doing great. They're they're moving around now, and uh, hopeful both those guys will be healthy soon.
5: Hey, Kirby. Um, when you when you looked at taking this game uh what went through i I know georgia is as aggressive as anyone scheduling non-conference what went through your mind in terms of clemson plus an sec schedule
0: opportunity i mean the bottom line was our our kids come to university of georgia to play in big games and uh, we had an opportunity to play uh, a really good opponent and you know for me it was what Georgia's about. I mean, our fans crave these kind of games. We as coaches crave these kind of games. You find out a lot more about yourself in these kind of games. And and look, it, it, for you guys, it's 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 everything. It's over if you don't win, and everything's you want it all. If you do win, for us, it's an opportunity to grow. It's going to make us better in our SEC schedule, regardless of the outcome of the game. We're going to be a better team having played these guys, and they they can say the same for playing us. And these opportunities. Are what you come to major colleges to play in. So when you had an opportunity to drop a, a, a you know a, a paid opponent and get this game, it was something we both jumped
5: at. All right. So Kirby did his best to kind of play down this matchup, but and I understand that to a degree, but no. I mean, this is the game. This is the game we've all been looking forward to for months on end uh there's gonna be hot takes <laughs> no matter who wins this game who loses you know the the loser can't coach they're done the winner they're going on to the national championship those will be the narratives and of course those are not a- going to be accurate after one week but this truly is uh this may be the toughest game georgia faces all season not saying that it will be but you know who knows so how do you face ad- – they're already facing adversity. That's something else that I've got to uh, wonder about this Georgia team. For all the talent, for all the coaching, you know, new leaders need to emerge, and they need to emerge quickly here because there ain't no uh, Western Carolina on the schedule or Akron or Alabama State. I mean, you're, you're right out the gate. So when adversity strikes, who steps up and is – proves to be a leader for the Georgia Bulldogs, and we're going to have to find that out Saturday night, and that may be the biggest storyline to emerge from that game. All right, there's another big game, of course, there on Saturday, so let's kick it all down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! For Alabama facing off against Miami in Atlanta. I thought we were done with these neutral site games. We we got a couple more, it sounds like, but uh, Alabama's an 18-and-a-half point favorite over the Hurricanes there. In Atlanta, this one is going to be on ABC, and the big challenge for the Crimson Tide is going to be slowing down this uh, Miami offense. Derek King, you know, they're saying uh, he's looking sharp as hell. I know he got injured at the tail end of last season, surprised a lot of people by making the decision to return for one final season of college football. Then he got hurt, unfortunately. So still rehabbing from, uh, I think he had a, Maybe a torn ACL. Don't quote me on that, but uh, I know he injured his, I think it was his knee. So uh, how does he look in this matchup? Well, the good news for Alabama, by God, they released their depth chart here, and we already knew they were dangerous, but these linebackers, Henry Toa Toa, slotted to start for the Crimson Tide. Christian Harris, arguably the best linebacker in the country. Will Anderson, off the edge. Oh, my God. And Chris Allen off the other side. (laughs) Yeah, Miami may have one hell of a quarterback that can kind of do it all, run, pass. Speed will be emphasized. Speed on that defensive side of the ball will be critical to slowing him down. But uh, the good news is (laughs) for as much speed as Miami's got, Alabama's got about tenfold of that speed. And uh, that's something that uh, Nick Saban was asked about when when asked about uh, facing the Miami quarterback. King here on Monday,
0: taking on a a player of the athlete caliber that Derek King is as as a scrambler. What's it mean to your defense to have some speed at the middle linebacker position with Henry Toto and Christian Harris?
6: Well, I think team speed on defense in this day and age in football is very, very important with all the people who run spread, who really are going to, you know, make you cover horizontally as well as vertically uh, the entire field. Uh, and when you have great athletes that have great speed, especially at the quarterback position, you know, that adds another element to that, that you're out here spread out trying to cover all these guys, and now you've got a quarterback who's got great ability to scramble, extend plays, make plays, scrambling, throwing, as well as running. Uh, that adds another element to it. And He certainly does that extremely well. Uh, he executes their offense extremely well. He's very comfortable uh, in, in how he manages the game. Uh, for them uh, and gets them in you know plays that are have a great chance to be successful for them and he's a good decision maker on you know whether it's the rpos the bubbles the smokes the plays that they run that complement the running game so um you know i i think this guy presents lots of issues uh because he's a great player and he's a great athlete and he's a great quarterback all rolled in one
5: you know leave it to nick saban he's always talking up uh, the opponent here and You know, it's not that I'm not buying anything he's saying here, but he's not really giving credit to his own team's defense here. And that's what I'm saying. So uh, the only chance I see Miami's got a hope and a prayer in this game is if King has the best performance of his life. We know he's an outstanding player. Uh, He was great at Houston. I think he was pretty good last year at Miami in his first year under Rhett Lashley, now going into year two. I'm sure he'll be a great player this year, but it won't be on Saturday given that all those monsters that Alabama's got to corral him with. So, good luck is all I can say to King. All right, next, let's uh, kick it on day to College Station. Gigamag. So much expectations there for Texas A&M. Is this the year that the Aggies finally win the West? I know a lot of those fans are hoping and praying that it is, and uh, you know, with each passing day i regret not picking texas a&m as my team in the west because i just have more and more confidence that they can get it done and uh now they've got up their starting quarterback hayes king they know who they've got under center and uh, that just kind of backs up everything that uh you know i've heard about king since the day he got there so they seem very confident there in texas a&m and i love the fact that uh you know they coming. They came to SEC Media Days, and what was the message? Nine and one. That's not good enough. Where we all know that was the second best record in the SEC, but it wasn't good enough because there was one team better than the Texas A&M Aggies last season. The Aggies seemed like a, a team on a mission, and that is something that Jimbo Fisher hit on here with uh, the fact that his players and the coaches are expecting a statement against Kent State.
1: We talked a lot with your players about how they want to make a statement in this season opener against Kent State and that the statement is showing how hard y'all have worked at camp and will serve as a preview for what's to come the rest of the season from y'all. As a head coach, what statement are you looking to make in this game? We play
3: great. And your opponents, you play – like you you've practiced you play like the habits you want to have and and every game you got 12 times you're allowed to play the statement is that we're ready to play and we're going to play it's not that it's kent state doesn't it? it's alabama it's not that it's georgia it's not that it's lsu it's not that it's uh colorado the next week you, each opponent has its own um purpose and and scheme you have to play against and you have to understand how to do that each and every week you come to compete and play and the statement is that we want to play we want to play well we want to do play our game we want to do the things we do and understand that you know, the other team is a very good team, and they're going to have their moments. But how we withstand the momentum swings, how we, how we we the maturity in which we play with, but more importantly, the consistency of how we play and, and the way we play, that we don't have self-inflicted wounds. We play a great physical brand of ball. We're able to capitalize with great skill and make plays when we have to and, and play a very sound game in all three phases.
5: All right, so again, I mean, you get the sense that uh, Texas A&M is – Despite all their success, hell, they just are coming off winning the Orange Bowl against a North Carolina team that's one of the best in the ACC. And hey, what does Jimbo? What does he like to say? We ain't done yet. And uh, you know that that's this kind of talk continues that narrative. Now, saying it's one thing, doing it on the field completely different. So they've got to be able to do that here on Saturday to to continue that momentum. And it's going to come with Hayes King. Under center. So why did he win the job? And uh, how about the players around him? I know the the offensive line will be retooled. There was an interesting development there uh, with the depth chart being released on Monday. Kenyon Green at right tackle. Most people had him penciled in at left. But uh, Jeremy Johnson. The uh, transfer from Tennessee, who played left tackle at Tennessee, he's going to be left tackle for Texas A&M. So that was kind of interesting. But how do the players around Hayes King step up? Jimbo also hit on that.
2: And uh, how did or why did Hayes King ultimately win the starting quarterback? Consistency,
3: job? and I, I think you no. Know, at the end of the day, everybody says it was his athleticism. No, it wasn't. It was his pocket presence and his ability to throw the football accurately, and make decisions. I'm a still firm believer: decision making and accuracy is how you play great football, quarterback. And they, the legs are an added piece of what has to happen and uh, of where you go. And I mean, he, he was outstanding in the scrimmage, just practice to just get better and better and better and play with great consistency. I mean, intermediate throws, short game reads, uh, getting the ball out of his hand and blitzes. I mean, we, we brought every blitz known to man at him. And I, I'm a big believer in you have to get him prepared in that regard, uh, making this zone calls, man, zone, zone man, protection calls, uh, accuracy down the field, deep balls, was excellent, uh, played well. And at the same time, I say that Zach did too. This was not a deal where, all right, one guy's good one, they kept matching each other. And he just played a little bit better. And that's that's where we went with it. But very comfortable with both guys and what we're doing and very happy and watch, anxious to watch him play. Coach, when you have a,
2: a young quarterback starting his first career collegiate game, how important is it for the veteran playmakers around
3: him to kind of step up and make his job? Well, I think that's possible? a given. I think that's, you know, they have to be where they're supposed to be, do the things they got to do, get open, and allow him to get in his groove and play his game. You know, and... That's uh, that's always very important. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And that's their responsibility, just like they went through it. So, you know, hopefully they'll do that and play well, which, you know, from camp, I think we will.
5: All right, so again, I mean, they seem – you watch out, man. Hayes King may be uh, the breakout star here in the SEC. You know, you've seen a lot of talk this off offseason. There's not a lot of star power at the SEC quarterback's position. I think by the end of the season, we're going to – with guys like Hayes King and Bryce Young – and Max Johnson, and K.J. Jefferson, and Will Rogers. I mean, I go on and on and on. Shane's screaming into his mic right now. Joe Milton, (laughs) we'll see. But there's going to be some players that emerge at that position. And I think by the end of the season, uh, Hayes King is going to be closer to one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC, than uh, whereas right now he's essentially a big question mark to those that uh, don't know much about him. All right, next, let's jump it on down to Fayetteville, Woo-peak. where Sam Pittman met with the media here to preview the Rice game here. The Razorbacks are a 19-and-a-half-point favorite in the season opener. And uh, Sam Pittman, man, he got some good questions here because uh, I've said it time and time again, and hell, I think I just said it on the last podcast. I don't know if the Arkansas fans, I mean, they're fired up for Rice, but who in the hell cares? Everybody's looking forward to Texas. And that makes Rice, in my mind, a little bit of a dangerous team. And what do they like to do? They like to play ball control. And if Arkansas's offense, we start a new quarterback, if they struggle a little bit, you know, this is a potential for a little bit of a trap game here. So how does it, uh, the uniqueness of that matchup, of an up-tempo offense facing a ball control offense, You know it's going to be very important that Kendall Briles and company don't start slow carry over that momentum they had at the tail end of last season. And that is something that Sam Pittman hit on on Monday.
2: When you're running a high-tempo offense against a ball control team, does it affect you at all if suddenly, you know, first half they're controlling the ball? I mean, do do you have to change your strategy a little bit?
1: I think it can. I mean, it's a great question. When I was at Georgia, we played Georgia Tech every year, you know, and I can remember – one year we were up seventeen nothing at half or 17-7. I can't remember but we had three possessions you know two we went down and scored and then we we had a hurry up um, offense and and kicked a field goal right before half and that was it you know basically two and a half possessions and uh, there we've talked to our team about that we know what type of pace they play with um, obviously it's up to our defense to get them off the field um, however. Uh, we don't want to panic with that. And we don't want to do something that we we aren't. We want to go run our offense, but our offense knows that we need to have success and success early. Uh, obviously, we'd like to get the lead and, and take them out of that pace a little bit uh, more. Uh, Georgia Tech was a team that that was just what they did. I think, I think uh, that Rice can adjust their speed. Uh, they obviously have a good third down package as well on offense. So I think they can adjust the tempo if they want to, but I anticipate them taking as much time off the clock as they can.
5: And one other uh, update here that uh, you know could be big news here for the Razorbacks, John Ridgway, the uh, nose tackle there, transfer from Illinois State, I believe. So much hype around him. It looks like he's going to be out. Sam Pittman wouldn't completely rule him out. Uh, But that uh, is the latest out of Fayetteville. So how does uh, the Arkansas defense adjust without Ridgeway there going up against a ball control offense? That'll be something to monitor there this week. That was not the only Sam Pittman comment that I really liked because, hell, it was something Shane and I hit on. Watching that uh, Illinois-Nebraska game, so many mistakes from week zero. That's something that uh, Coach Pittman picked up on and something that he is going to be sharing with his team to make sure that they're ready and focused for this Rice game? And then an- another great question. The, every time Arkansas has suited up under Sam Pittman, they've been an underdog, and most of the time, a heavy underdog. Now the script is flipped. They're a heavy favorite. So how do the Razorbacks, for the first time, handle being a favorite in a game? Uh, I thought this was a really good question.
1: You watch any football this weekend, week zero? I did. I watched a couple of games. There's
2: always so much of the game is about not making mistakes, making your opponent pay for theirs. And there's some, I, I don't know if you watched the Illinois game, but fielding the punt at the two-yard line, that, uh, that hit on the quarterback and also the taunting penalty, was probably a game-changing moment. Do you use any of that stuff, the week zero games and stuff, to show your team like, hey, you know, see what these guys did and, and stuff like that, or do you stress any of that on
1: them? You ought to go into coaching, Trey. Um, the first thing we're going to do today at our in our team meeting is show all the mistakes that were made this weekend. Um, certainly, I'm sure that Nebraska and whomever you know they they were they felt like they were ready as well, you know, and it just happened to them. But the more we can show them, uh, the better off I think we'll be, and and that's part of my team meeting today. Hey, Sam, I, I think Arkansas was an underdog in every game last year, and I know you guys don't worry I about it. I know what, we were, yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, team really played with a chip on their shoulder, and obviously maybe you didn't surprise yourselves, but surprised a lot of other folks. But in this game, Arkansas is like a 19-point favorite. <clears throat> and I know you guys don't worry about what Vegas does, but but how do you think this team will react to being a big favorite when, they've, when they're so used to being an underdog? You know, I know it's coach speak and all that, and we all say it, but – We're really, we really are. We're just worried about how we play. You know, if we'll play physical and chase the ball and not make mistakes and uh, are tough and play with the chip, we feel like we'll play well. Um, It's really not as much about the opponent for the players. Uh, Certainly you get ready because you see tendencies and you know who you're lined up against and all those things. But we pretty much keep it about Arkansas, and if we, we're, we need to play our best, whatever that is, and then let the score figure out the score. But uh, we've kind of gone that way. We pretty much approach every game that same way. Um, certainly the kids have different rivalries in their mind and things like that, but uh, I don't think – I'm hoping and I don't think uh, that we'll have any type of different uh, – the way we play, whether we're a favorite or whether we're not, but it is different because we're expected to win this game. And and we weren't, at least Vegas-wise, expected to win any of them last year. So it is a valid point and and, uh, we're very aware of that.
5: Don't sense much cause for concern there from Sam Pittman. Again, uh, we got to see it on the field, but he's saying all the right things here uh, in his first press conference of the season. And, uh, man, I just cannot wait for Arkansas to to whip up on rice so that we can shift gears to Texas officially. You know what? All right, guys, so uh, that's all we've got on this episode, loaded episode here with the Basilio interview. And, uh, hey, it's not over yet. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think we've got an interview lined up every show the rest of the week. So we are going all out here. We've got some terrific guests the rest of the week to get us fired up for – this SEC opening weekend, and uh, cousin Shane will be back on the next episode. and He'll be on talking these, uh, you know, some of his fantasy picks here with the prize picks. Don't forget to head on over to prizepicks.com using that promo code SEC for a free $50 initial deposit bonus. Play some fantasy football with us. We're good, you don't have to keep an exclusive SEC with your picks, but you know, we are uh, week in, week out. But uh, I've spilled on long enough here, and uh, I'm going to cut this one short. And again, again, as always, if you made it this far, give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app. That really helps the show grow. And check us out on YouTube, a daily content coming to YouTube. But that's going to do it. Catch you on the next one.